reading from the Gospel of Luke. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have enough bread and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And we, when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has gotten back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen. For all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet, you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. This is God's story for God's people. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Startle us, O God, with your grace and your truth, with the power of these ancient stories still living today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock 
and our Redeemer. Amen. This is Understanding the Bible, part six, starting to sound like the Marvel comic book series. Parts one through five are available on our website or through our podcast, and you can catch up anytime. The whole series is really only about 100 minutes in length if you decide you want to catch up later or share it with a friend. This Sunday, we turn to the New Testament. The story that I've chosen as our focus for today is the parable of the prodigal son, as told by Jesus. It is one of the greatest stories ever told. It is certainly one of the most recognizable stories in the Bible. If your Western Civ or World Lit class featured a single day or a single week on the Bible, there is a good chance your teacher chose this story. The prodigal son hooks us right away because so many of us can relate to the themes in this story. We want to gain the approval of our parents, or we have wondered how our children will turn out when they grow up and when they leave the nest. In this story, we meet an obedient son, and we also meet a wandering and rebellious one. The father is mostly remembered as a benevolent and good parent. Even so, he cannot stop his youngest son from bad choices. And in his concern for his youngest son, he ignores and alienates his older one. And out of all of the brokenness of this old story, things turn out okay in the end. There is reconciliation. There is hope. And maybe the same thing is true for all of us and our flawed and crazy families. Today I'm going to draw on this familiar tale to show you that you might know more than you realize about the Bible. Jesus tells this story because it is illustrative of God's relationship with humanity. To that end, it fits beautifully the themes of the New Testament, and also it fits beautifully the themes of the whole Bible. As we have been talking about for weeks this summer, this is a story of a covenant that is created and broken and restored. Created, broken, restored. That is how we have been understanding the Bible. And in today's lesson, I plan to do three things. First, I will illustrate how the prodigal son fits into that broader story of the Bible. Second, I will back out from there and do some general teaching about the gospel stories, which, fulfill, which fill up the first third to one half of the New Testament. And then third, I will show how the broader themes of the gospels also fit the overarching biblical story we've been tracing, the story of a covenant created and broken and restored. So first, the story. You have heard the prodigal son story before, many of you, I imagine, but I wonder if you have thought about it before as part of the broader narrative of the Bible. The prodigal son begins with a covenant. A covenant. 
It is no accident that Jesus chooses to tell a story about parents and children. Covenants, agreements, promises are assumed when we talk about parents and children. Parents are supposed to teach their children. Children are supposed to be raised and guided by their parents. The conventional wisdom is that when this recipe is followed, young people thrive. And when it is lacking on either side, children do not thrive. This is the kind of relationship with God we've been talking about since the beginning of this study, since the beginning of the Bible. And when Jesus begins his story with a man who had two sons, it is assumed that there is a covenant in place. A covenant is on our minds. In the second part of the prodigal son story, the covenant is both honored and it is broken. One son follows in the ways of his father. He works hard and he waits for his inheritance to come in due time. The other son strays and breaks the covenant. But after that younger son's time of dissolute living, when he finds that he should have listened to his father in the first place, he returns home. This wayward son regrets his mistakes, and the good son resents his brother. And in the father's response to both of the sons, we see that the parent loves both equally so insofar as the Father represents God, he shows us that God wishes to be a restorer of covenants. A restorer of covenants, both with children who have obeyed and with children who have strayed. This restoration of the covenant happens regardless of merit. They have done nothing to earn it. It happens according to what we call grace. The prodigal son is a story of God's covenant created, broken, and restored. So that's the story. Now let's back out of that specific story and let's talk about how it fits into the larger narrative of the Gospels of the New Testament, the story of Jesus Christ. The Gospels, to be simple about it, are stories of the life of Jesus. And as you may remember from Sunday school, there are four Gospels in the Bible. A Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the four Gospels. In the next few minutes, I'm going to add to that base of knowledge with three ideas. One, how these four Gospels came into being. Two, I'll talk about what to make of the differences between them. And three, I'll talk about what they hold in common, especially as it relates to our overall theme about the covenant. So, first of all, where they came from. While most of us are familiar with Matthew as the first gospel, it's the one that appears first in the ordering in our pew Bibles, Mark is actually the oldest. Mark is the oldest of the four Gospels. Matthew and Luke came along after, and John somewhat after that. 
Here's how most scholars assume it took place. Mark, Matthew, and Luke are what we know as the synoptic gospels. Synoptic, it's a word that means the same. They all take a common view regarding the basic story and order of events in Jesus' life. This is Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Mark is by far the shortest version of the story, and it was written first, probably somewhere around the year 65 or 70 of the Common Era, about a generation after Jesus lived. Matthew and Luke are each quite a bit longer. They add to Mark's very basic story, and they add very similar collections of teachings and stories that are told by Jesus. Scholars believe that Matthew and Luke were authors who had access to the same two stories, the same two sources. Matthew and Luke both had in hand a, a version of Mark's gospel, and they also had a written collection of stories and sayings of Jesus. Scholars call this collection the Q source. These two things were circulating at the same time, and, Mark, or, and Matthew and Luke took these two sources, and they layered those sayings and teachings on top of the version of the story they had in the Gospel of Mark. And that's how we got Matthew and Luke. The Gospel of John is significantly different. While some of the stories in it are the same, John does not follow the same storyline as laid out in the other three. John leaves out many of the stories that Mark, Matthew, and Luke hold in common, and, Mark adds a number of, or, and John adds a number, number of other stories and sayings that are not common to the other three. John is therefore believed to have emerged in a somewhat similar way to how Mark came about in the first place. In both cases, there were stories, oral traditions about Jesus that were circulating in a community, and people like Mark and John took it about themselves to write it down. That, that's a, an explanation of the how. Let's talk about the differences between these two stories. You may not remember everything that I told you in the last two minutes, but it illustrates that these stories come from different origins and they involve different material. So let's talk about what we make of that as people of the faith. At first, it may sound threatening that there are significant differences to be found in the four Gospels. Why is there not total agreement on the life of Jesus? Which version are you supposed to believe? Which stories are the most important? The simple answer is that there is no use trying to hide or explain away the differences between the Gospels. To acknowledge that the stories in the four Gospels are different is not some kind of heretical ivory tower scholarship. It is obvious and evident to anyone who sits down and reads the Bible. Fact, the Gospels 
are different from one another. But why are they different? And what should we make of that? A simple analogy I hope will be helpful. I want you to imagine asking any four people that you know to tell you a story they all know from long ago. A story in which you all share a common history. Perhaps you call four friends who attended high school or college with you, and you ask them to tell you about a series of events in which you all participated. The story of your fraternity pledgeship, the story of the road to the regional championship in soccer. Each friend's version of that story is bound to be different. It will involve different individual events. It will involve different characters and details because that's how storytelling works. We tell stories according to what we remember best and what was most important to each of us. And the fact that each one of your friend's versions of the story includes different details, that does not make any one of their stories false. This is similar to what we are dealing with when we read the Gospels. Each one of the faithful writers of the four Gospels selected stories and sayings of Jesus. They selected stories and sayings that were most memorable to them. And they wrote them down in the order that they remembered, the order that made sense to them. This was not a police report or a scientific study. It was not a way of writing that was held to common standards of accuracy. No, it was something quite different. It was the telling of the inspiring story of Jesus' life. It was an act of spreading faith in Jesus Christ. And to that end, there are things in each of the Gospels that are different, but there are also things about the story that are the same. And let's talk about that next. Even though the Gospels are different in their details, there are parts of Jesus' life that each one of these accounts, each one of these four Gospels, has in common. One way of thinking about it comes from many uh, theologians in our history, and it's summed up in a book called Jesus the Savior by one of my college professors, Bill Plaker. The four Gospels, he says, make reference to four primary elements in Jesus' life. All four Gospels talk about Jesus' birth, his ministry, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. Birth, ministry, cross, resurrection. All four of the Gospels hold this story in common. These matters are dealt with quite differently in each of the four Gospels, but each one of the Gospels addresses them. Here's an example. Let's take Jesus' birth. Mark 
which we've said is the briefest of the four accounts, Mark says very little about Jesus' birth, but he does talk about it. He does make sure that you know where Jesus comes from. He ties Jesus back to his origins in the Old Testament and the prophecies that looked forward to his birth. It establishes where Jesus came from. Matthew and Luke who have Mark's story and who add stories and sayings to it, they have the most robust stories of the accounts of Jesus' birth, and they add things like the stories of Mary and Joseph and their families, the stories of the shepherds and the wise men who visit the manger scene. These stories are layered on top of the Gospel of Mark, and they reinforce the importance of Jesus' birth. John doesn't do any of that but provides an account of Jesus' birth, of where Jesus came from, from his standpoint, which is much more philosophical and cosmic. You'll recognize this from Christmas Eve worship. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John goes on to tell his own accounting of Jesus' birth. These are all ways of talking about Jesus' birth, where he came from. The ministry, the cross, the resurrection are all dealt with similarly. When it comes to the resurrection, Mark says almost nothing of it, but he tells the story of the women coming to the tomb and finding it empty so that we will know the story is not over. Matthew, Luke, and John then go on to tell much more extensive accounts of what happened after Jesus' resurrection. Each one of these stories includes common elements, birth, ministry, cross, resurrection, different in the details, but all making sure that we know the scope of that story. And to explain what is so important about these common events in the Gospels, think back on that analogy I told you about a memory from high school or college. Now imagine for a moment that the story you asked your friends to tell you was about a teacher or a mentor you all shared. Someone who had a profound effect on the direction of all of your lives. Each friend would share different stories and different details, but the themes would likely be the same. You would get the sense from everyone's story that the person you were talking about was someone who was a source of great wisdom or passion or encouragement. And there would likely be a few common events that you would all draw from, stories you remember because they reinforce those values so strongly these unforgettable characteristics that shaped your lives would shine through the differences in the stories. And this seems to be what happened with the Gospels. Think once more about those four common elements in the Gospels, birth, ministry, cross, resurrection. The beautiful thing about these four elements is that through each one of them, there is an opportunity to reach a great variety of people who hear the story and who might come to know and follow Christ. 
Some feel most drawn to the story of Jesus through his birth, the stories of where he came from. He is the fulfillment of Old Testament hopes for Messiah and the Son of God. He is just like God and yet shares all of our human characteristics. Some believe that Jesus' ministry, his teaching, his healing, his acts of grace and forgiveness, that these are the most important thing. Some people are drawn most to the story of the cross, that like a ritual sacrifice, there is a way that the death of Jesus unites him in common cause with all of us who will one day die, and that in his death, he cleanses us of all of the sins of our lives. And still others focus on resurrection. The promise that Jesus saves mortal, fragile human beings and saves the world by showing us that death does not have the last word. John Calvin, the father of our Presbyterian faith, said that all of these parts of the story birth, ministry, cross, resurrection, they all have their place. He wrote that the miracle of Jesus is not about one of these four parts of his life, but that Jesus saves us through the whole course of his obedience to God. And that's always suggested to me that all of us are not going to be drawn into this story by the same things. We may like one gospel better than the others, and that's okay too. Part of the gift of having four different storytellers is that that gives us many more chances for each of us to be drawn into this powerful story and to have it shape our lives. The other common thread to all four of the gospel stories, takes us back to the theme that we've been following throughout this sermon series, a covenant created, broken, and restored. In this story I've been telling you, this story that has common threads of birth, ministry, cross, and resurrection, we see this covenant lived out. Jesus is born into the world to establish or to reestablish God's covenant with humanity. In Jesus' ministry, Jesus gives us a way of life to follow in what God intends for us. Through that ministry, we see that some people wish to follow that way of life, that covenant, and some people rebel against it. And in the most profound rejection of that covenant, we see Jesus' death on the cross. But even then, in the face of death, we see God's desire to restore the covenant through the gift of the resurrection. Jesus' life is a story of covenant created, broken, and restored. Now that is a lot to take in for today. And there was a recording that's made, so you can listen to it again. You can also join us for Bible study on Wednesday night if you wish to go deeper with this story. I look forward to seeing you there. 
The remainder of the New Testament is devoted to how the early church started to tell this story of Jesus after his earthly life was over. We will go there next time during part seven. Amen.